Good morning, everyone. So if you have a Bible, if you don't, it's okay. But if you do have a Bible or a Bible app, you can turn to Luke chapter 24. It's the resurrection story told by Luke. I was thinking as we were singing today that, you know, we think about Christ. Sometimes we look up, right? We look up to the sky. We look up to the tin ceiling. You know, we look up to God, but we forget that he is near. He is in our midst. Uh, the Bible says wherever two or three are gathered, he's, he's in our midst. We know that Christ dwells within us. Right? Christ in us, the hope of glory. So we're, we're not talking about just an idea this morning. The resurrected Christ ascended uh, 2,000 years ago, and now he's at the right hand of the Father, uh, far away from here. He is with us. In fact, it's one of the last things he said. I will never leave you. I will be with you to the end of the age. He is with us this morning in this place. We're going to walk through Luke uh, chapter 24, and I'm just going to make some comments along the way. Um, Before we get to 24, if you kind of go back a little bit to chapter 23, just to give a little context, of course, Jesus died, and a man named Joseph was taking him to bury him and put him in an empty tomb. Uh, So if you kind of look toward the end of Uh, Chapter 23, verse 53, he took it down, speaking of Jesus' body. He took the body of Christ down, wrapped it in a linen, think of linen, very thin cloth, wrapped, wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. And it says, too, that uh, that the women were with Joseph, watching this, witnessing this, Jesus being wrapped, placed in this empty tomb. And the the women went back, it says in verse 56, they returned and prepared spices and ointments. Just kind of keep that, those things in mind, that's the context here. The women are going back, okay, Jesus has been put in this empty tomb. He's died. He's been crucified. Uh, so the women are going to prepare some spices and ointments, which was their tradition. So verse, or chapter 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb. They, speaking of the, the women, this company of women, in different gospels list the who they were, what their names were. But we'll just call them the company of women for now. But they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, which was a little shocking, uh, I imagine. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Can you imagine, Uh, you know, as they walk in, there, where, where is he? What, what happened to the body? 
We were here and we saw the body wrapped in the linen. We were here. We saw him laid. We know he died. We know he was wrapped. We know he was laid. We're coming back with spices. Where is he? And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men, which we find out later and in other gospels were actually two angels. Two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. It doesn't mean sharp dressed. It means there was something glistening, something illuminating, something supernatural about how they looked. Dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men these angels, said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. This is a testimony from angels. He is alive. Yes, he was dead, but now he is alive. He is risen. I think they believed in that moment. Remember, the angel said, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. This is something that Jesus said to his disciples over and over and over. This is how it's going to go down. No, I haven't come here as a military power to crush the Romans and set up my kingdom on earth now. No, Jesus over and over said, I've come in a different manner. I've come to give my life. I must die to atone for the sins of the world, and I will be raised again. So they remembered. They remembered that, yes, Jesus did talk about this again and again. Verse 9 says, in returning from the tomb... I'm sure pretty excited, right? Full of energy. Returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. Can you imagine them just bursting in the doors and just giving this incredible testimony? You are not going to believe what happened. We went to the tomb. I mean, we were there when Joseph was, you know, wrapping the body. We, you know, we, and we went into the tomb. He was gone, but two angels appeared. And, and told us that he's alive, he's risen. This burning testimony, not from just one woman, but a company of women, all who were witnesses, eyewitnesses to these things. And then they give the names, verse 10, now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, And Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Who spoke this burning testimony to the apostles. You know, the apostles, the ones that that, that spent three years with Jesus, eating meals, uh, watching incredible miracles like Jesus walking on water or stilling wind and waves, 
raising people from the dead. One of the things that Jesus did, healing paralytics, healing blind people, causing them to see. Sitting around the table and hearing Christ teach. They were intimate with, with Christ for three years. If anybody should get it, it would be the, the disciples, right? You'd think that when the women came in, the disciples would jump to their feet like, I knew it was true. Totally. We knew this was coming. Of course, Jesus told us this was going to happen. He was going to die. He was going to raise from the dead. This makes total sense. But that is not at all how the scripture gets played out. Verse 11 says, But these words of the company of women, but these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. It just sounded like a fabrication. It sounded like, you guys, I don't know, that does, that's too much. You saw angels? Okay, really? They, it just didn't seem real to them. Oh, gee, we know he died. We, saw, we were there. We, we saw Christ die. We know Joseph. We know Joseph wrapped him in the tomb. We know Jesus is dead. You're not making any sense. It's encouraging to us who struggle with faith, right, that even the disciples who saw these incredible miracles and just saw so much to build their faith, they were even in this place of doubt. They didn't get it. And a lot of people don't get it today, especially in our um, part of the world, this region we call New England, right? New England has a rich history of revival and spiritual awakenings in the 1700s and 1800s. Uh, some of the greatest things happened in, in New England. There are churches everywhere. But even despite the rich history, there I would say the overwhelming majority of people in New England don't believe. Oh, they've heard about Jesus. They believe that he lived uh, as a man. Uh, but they don't believe that he was born of a virgin. I mean, that's like kind of crazy. They don't believe he actually walked on water or stilled wind and waves. They don't believe he rose from the dead. I remember having this conversation with, um, when I was like brand new campus ministry at Northeastern University, and all the different religious groups are out there, and, and, and the, the group next to me was, I think it was like Unitarian Church, and I'm having this conversation because Easter was like right around the corner and, you know, we're excited about it. And Easter's coming and I start talking about the resurrection of Christ. And, and she tells me that she actually doesn't believe that. And I reacted. I was like, what do you mean you don't believe that? How could you? 
How could you not believe that? Why do you have this table here representing some kind of Christian group, but you don't even believe in the resurrection of the dead? The resurrection of Christ, that's central to the Christian faith. I wasn't that passionate, but almost <laughs> that passionate. I got in big trouble for challenging her. I almost got kicked off the campus, actually. Um, but it's a central thing. But people don't believe. They doubt. They don't actually believe these things. They don't believe that scriptures were inspired by the Holy Spirit. It just seems to them like an idle tale. It seems like a fabrication. It seems like just a nice thing to believe in. Because most religions, well, I should say, all religions in the world are fabricated. They're made up by people. They're man-made. They're just fabricated things, you know, to kind of explain the world through a story or through some kind of myth or whatever. Like, all the religions are that. So why would Christianity be any different? Why would the story of Jesus, it's a nice little story, right? You know, Jesus came, he was God, and, you know, he died for us, for our sins, and now we have Jesus in our heart, and he comforts us, and it's just such a nice little children's story, and the way people treat it is almost like, well, if, it, if it's good for you, if it helps you, it gives you a little comfort, you know, it's like a nice little thing that you have in your pocket to remind you of, you know, it's like a good luck charm, then they're happy for you that you have that. But they don't actually believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Or that this man 2,000 years ago, we call Jesus of Nazareth, was God in the Like the only God appeared as an infant, as a baby, and grew up. 30 years, then launched his ministry, that this man that is a historical character, most intelligent people know that Jesus of Nazareth lived and know what people said about him 2,000 years ago, but that he was God? Like God, like the one who created the earth. The one who said, let there be light. The one who holds all things together. <laughs> like that God who made each and every one of us. Who thought about us before even the foundations of the world were laid. That one. The only God. People don't believe that. That's a crazy. You're crazy to believe these things. If you stood up in your workplace or in some of your family, your next family reunion, hey, guess what I believe? And you just listed about 20, 20 of these crazy things that the Bible teaches that you believe. People would look at you like you are nuts. It seems like an idle tale. But listen, my word today is that Jesus has his ways of changing hearts. Oh, he has his ways of taking the atheist, like C.S. Lewis, for example, and turning his life around and making him a man of faith who has impacted millions of people around the world. 
Jesus has his ways of taking the worst criminals and turning them into saints. Or the worst persecutors like Saul that you can read about in the book of Acts who dragged people out of their homes and dragged them into prison and had people stoned to death. Jesus has his ways of taking the worst persecutors and turning them into the greatest advocates of the gospel. He has his ways. And you see his ways even in this one chapter of how he got a hold of the disciples with their disillusioned, discouraged, doubting, fearful hearts. And he did something to turn them. How does he do it? I don't know. He does it differently for everyone. There's no one way. There's no cookie-cutter approach that Jesus has. He just does it differently. But we see some of his ways here. Well, anyways, verse 12, Peter doesn't just, you know, this is Peter. This is who he is. He's just aggressive. He's intense. He's, he hears this uh, testimony of the company of women that they saw angels and the tomb is empty. Peter gets up and just runs. Gospel of John brings it out in more detail. Peter and John both ran to the tomb. John points out in the Gospel of John that he ran faster than Peter. But when they got to the tomb, I think that's funny. When they got to the tomb, John, I don't know if I want to go in there. I'm not sure what's going to happen. And, but then when Peter finally arrived, he just rushed right past John, right into the empty tomb. And stooping, Peter stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths. Remember, we talked about that, the linen cloths that are wrapped around the, the dead body, that the company of women, Joseph did that, but the company of women were there witnessing that. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. In other words, not connected to Jesus' body. And he went home marveling at what had happened. So, again, it, it, they're just trying to put together the pieces here. What? Wait, if somebody stole the body, why would they take the time to unwrap all of the linens? Right? It doesn't make sense. One of the other Gospels points out that the, the, there was like a, the linens were in one part of the empty tomb and the face cloth of Jesus that was over, you know, wrapped around his face, I guess maybe a different kind of material or a different thing that was used there, was in a separate location in the empty tomb, folded neatly. Again, just my theory. Some of you have already heard it, but it's worth saying. I think... Just a theory. I think that Jesus had a certain way of folding. I think that because they traveled together, I mean, they were camped out and traveled everywhere, slept in different houses and all over. They moved around for three years. They were on the move. And I just have this feeling that Peter, just kind of knowing his personality and just who he was, he probably wasn't a good folder. And he just like crumpled his clothes up and into a ball and just put him in the corner. And Jesus was like, seriously, that's what you're going to give me. The, let me show you how to fold that. And Jesus showed him how to how to fold a shirt. And maybe Jesus had a distinct fold. Once in a while, Tiffany 
folds my laundry. But I actually don't want her to because I have like a certain way of folding. I mean, it's so distinct that if you saw a pile of clothes folded, you would probably, that's my husband who folded those that way. I mean, even the way I stack the socks after, it's like, a, it's like an art project. It's like a little art installation that I enjoy, but then I take it down and put everything away. But I just wonder if that was one of those little you know, hints that Jesus gave to Peter to make him know that he's alive. Verse 13, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all of these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, just picture these two disciples walking, seven-mile journey, it's a long walk. Jesus himself, the resurrected Jesus, draws near and went with them. He starts walking with them. So the three of them are now walking on this road to Emmaus. But somehow their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them in his playful manner, as he did after he was raised from the dead, I think he played a lot of games and had fun with his friends, with this and shocking them, surprising them in different ways. But he says here, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk, even though Jesus knew what they were talking about? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, which I think is a funny answer. It's kind of insulting. Like, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? Like, what are you, dumb? It almost comes off like that. And Jesus said to him, again, he's playing, Jesus is playing dumb. What things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And now the chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned and uh, you know, to death and crucified him. You know, we had really hoped that he was the one to deliver, to redeem Israel. You can really feel their disillusionment. We had hoped. We really hoped. We really thought we, you know, that this was the one, that he was the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. But, in so many words, but uh, I guess not because he was arrested and crucified. Now he's gone. But then they kind of keep going with some other things that have happened that they're trying to make sense of. Besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. I mean, they were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find the body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb, speaking of Peter and John, and found it just as the women had said. But him, Jesus, they did not see. And then in Jesus' fashion, every once in a while, giving a little rebuke, 
He said to them, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe. <laughs> Almost like in light of all the, the facts that you have, all the, can't you put this together and realize? I mean, in so many words, he's saying, how many times have I told you these things when I walked with you? But they still just think he's a random stranger that jumped into the conversation. But he gives them a rebuke nonetheless. And he said to them, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning Himself. It's one of those little verses, but I think it's just amazing. Can you imagine Jesus unpacking everything from Genesis to Malachi in the Old Testament that points to the Christ? Can you imagine that long walk to Emmaus, seven miles? We're talking hours of Jesus just revealing Christ in the Old Testament to these two disciples. So they drew near again, this is playful, drew near to the village to which they were going. And Jesus acted as if he were going further. Okay, it's you guys. Good talking with you. I'm going somewhere, even though he's not really going anywhere. You know, he's, okay, I'm going a little further here. See you guys, you know, maybe some other day. But they urged him strongly, saying, no, 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 stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. And I guess Jesus, oh, okay, you know. And he's, you know, he knew what he was doing the whole time, but he's just kind of playing with him. Oh, okay, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll stay with you. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread Remember, as he did hundreds of times. Think of how many meals the disciples ate with one another. <laughs> and he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. They knew it was Jesus. Verse 31, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And right probably when they were about to ask a question or right when they were about to like say something, they didn't even say, Lord, it's you. And, you know, hug him or something. He vanishes from their sight. I don't know about you, but I think in that moment, they believed, okay? Jesus has his ways of getting through the thickest hearts, and they, they got it at that point. And they look at each other. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And so they rose that same hour, and they returned to Jerusalem, and they found the 11, the 11 disciples or apostles, kind of the main ones that Jesus invested in, right? They found the 11, and those who were with them gathered, saying, the Lord has risen indeed. He has appeared to Simon. Now, Simon, Peter, was one of the, you know, kind of main 
Even of the 12, there was Peter, James, and John, right? Peter was like kind of an unofficial leader of the 12, I guess. And so apparently, we don't know much information about this verse, but we know that Jesus had his way of getting a hold of Peter's heart. So Jesus apparently visited Peter somewhere in some way that caused Peter to know. And maybe Peter needed that. We know that Peter denied the Lord, right? After three years, and he said, I will never deny you. But Peter did deny the Christ. And so the Bible says he went out and wept bitterly and was really broken about his his denial of Jesus. And so maybe the only way that Jesus could restore Peter was to have that personal one-on-one encounter with him. So sacred that the scripture doesn't even tell us about it. What was that conversation like? You know, when, when Jesus spoke to Peter and said, I know what happened. Can you imagine Peter just probably broke down weeping and Jesus was like, it's okay. It's okay, we're moving on. I still love you. I still have a call on your life. I still want to use you. I still want to be your friend. I still want to spend eternity with you. So anyways, they come back, these two disciples on the road that had this encounter with Jesus. They said, "We've, we've seen the Lord. Um, and he's even appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them and the breaking of the bread. And as they were talking about these things, even as this testimony is pretty alive at this, whoa, he's Peter's encountered. These two disciples on the road saw Jesus, the company of women. Like you'd think the 11, the faith is rising a little bit. Like, whoa, maybe, just maybe, this possibly could be true, but they're still just not, I don't know if I, maybe all these people are crazy. Maybe they just want it to believe. They just want to see it. They're fabricating things. They're maybe just, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's really not true. Even as they're like thinking, processing all this, boom, <laughs> Jesus steps into the room and says, peace to you but they were absolutely startled and frightened and thought they had saw a spirit, a ghost. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands. I mean, this is, he's just going right to it. He has his ways. Like, you guys aren't getting it. You guys are so unbelieving, so doubtful, so thick. Here, take my hand. See it. Touch, touch my hands. See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see for a ghost does not have flesh and blood. I mean, he's really going to the end here and demonstrating that this is him. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And <laughs> I love this verse. And while they still disbelieved, For joy. 
and were marveling. What does that mean? Like, they almost had this moment of, this can't be happening. This isn't real. I mean, this is a dream. This isn't, this isn't really happening. I'm asleep right now, and this is not really Jesus. They, they still, it just seems so fantastic, so beyond anything that could actually be real. But they're touching him. He's not a ghost. He's not a spirit floating around. They're touching. They're seeing the, the scars in his hands and in his feet. It's, it's hitting them. So I think Jesus takes it to the next level and says, all right. Have you anything here to eat? And so they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate before them. Again, maybe we, this doesn't really impact us that much, but if you really think about it, imagine somebody uh, you have eaten with hundreds of times. Everybody eats a certain way, right? They eat fast, they eat slow, they put their fork a certain way, they put their napkin on their lap, they don't. You know, everybody just does different. They have a certain way of eating because we're all uniquely made. I eat too fast. My friend Shane, oh my gosh, he eats so slow. But it's, it's good. They say you're supposed to eat really slow, but... I'll be like, done. He hasn't even started. It's like it looks like he hasn't even started. But I just wonder if this was also a little demonstration of Jesus saying, watch how I eat. It's me. (laughs) It's me. Touch me. See me. Watch the way I eat. It is I. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And that is my message today, that Jesus has his ways. I mean, I think about Mary. I love the story of Mary who was weeping outside the empty tomb, and she was so close to Jesus. And Jesus shows up, but she didn't recognize Jesus. She thought Jesus was possibly a a gardener. It says she thought he was just a gardener, and she's kind of scolding the gardener a little bit. And again, maybe Jesus was being playful. Maybe he was dressed as a gardener. Maybe he had overalls on. I'm not sure. We don't know. But he was, you know, kind of playing with her. But then he says her name, Mary. That name he spoke probably hundreds of times. And she just, it was the way he said Mary that had a way of getting to her heart. 
and making her realize it was Jesus. You know, we mentioned the Apostle Paul before, seeing a light from heaven, being knocked off of his horse, uh, hearing a voice from heaven, an audible voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? You know, some of the, the ways of Jesus are dramatic, knocking people off of horses and flashing lights from heaven. And then there are other ways of Jesus, maybe like Mary, just speaking her name, Mary. But Jesus knows how to get to us. He knows how to rip away our doubt and cause us to believe. I think about the thief on the cross, right? The famous story of the thief who, one of the, the two who hung by Jesus in the crucifixion. And one, of course, was very, well, they both reviled. And one just kept reviling right to the end. But one of the thieves hung next to Jesus somehow witnessed something. Maybe the love of Jesus, maybe Jesus looking over at him at times and making eye contact. Maybe the way Christ hung on the cross, even in agony, but was still showing great love for those who are mocking him, saying, Father, forgive them. We don't know exactly what it was, but something in those final moments caused that reviling thief to be turned around and softened and, and cried out to Jesus saying, remember me, remember me, Lord. And he gave, Jesus gave the promise, today you'll be with me in paradise. Or the centurion, remember the centurion who was there at the foot of the cross kind of guarding things, probably crowd control, uh, tough, I'm sure a tough guy. Um, the passion of the Christ really brings out the centurion story beautifully. But who knows what, what it was. It was a combination of maybe many things. Just watching Jesus' way of loving his enemies, watching people mock, watching the interaction between Jesus and his mother and young John and just that love there. Uh, even when Christ finally said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit and, you know, the sky went black for three hours and the ground shook, literally shook, an earthquake happened when Christ breathed his last breath and the curtain in the temple that kept people from the Holy of Holies was ripped in two. But there was something about the combination of all these things perhaps that just caused the centurion to turn from hardened Man to lover of Jesus. Jesus has his ways of getting to our hearts. You know, one of the most overlooked verses, I just have to read it, it's pretty awesome, is in the Gospel of Matthew. It says, uh, you know, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. And then this verse here. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints 
who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city, Jerusalem, and appeared to many. Can you imagine that? If you're like, I don't know if I really believe this. And your uncle Jimmy, who died 17 years ago, shows up in your kitchen and says, yeah, Jesus is alive. Okay, that, that's going to do it for you probably right there. And so it's just a little detail, but there's just so much packed into that. Can you imagine that? But what I want to say here is that Jesus has his ways even today, 2,000 years later, in my life, in your life, of turning us from being full of doubt, full of sin. Some of us were drug addicts. Some of us were just full of hate. Some of us were kind of the least likely to become followers of Jesus. I was joking in the first service that if there was a you know, thing in the high school yearbook, in my high school yearbook, least likely to become a follower of Jesus, like it would have been my picture. Yeah, Scott Axman, that, that, that he would definitely be the least likely person to be a follower of Jesus and a pastor. But, you know, Jesus has his ways. And yeah, I was, after high school, got worse and worse and more and more drugs and more and more alcohol and more and more just hatred and rage and getting in fights and all of it. I had my own ideas, my strong-headed ideas of what, you know, what happens after death and all this new age baloney that I bought into. I didn't believe in the Bible and all that stupid stuff. I don't want anything to do with that. I mocked people. I mocked Christians. And yet... For me, it was the touch. It was the touch. And some of you, that's how you turned. Some, some of us, it's, it would be the only way. Because people tried to reason with me. People tried to persuade me. There were nice Christians in my life. You know, people who were examples. But it's just, I don't know, it's a bunch of, I don't get it, it's stupid. I don't, I don't, I don't buy it. I don't want to do it. For me, it was the touch. Not in a church, not an altar call. It was just a touch walking down the street at about midnight. I wasn't looking for Jesus. I wasn't like, oh, Jesus, save me. I say my sinner's prayer here. I want to give my life to you. No, I wasn't that. I was just walking down the street confused. I didn't believe at all. I didn't get it. I didn't understand. I was perplexed. I was kind of seeing some hints of maybe this is true, but I didn't really know. My unbelief was thick. And somehow, one touch, all of a sudden, I find myself bawling my eyes out and experiencing the love of Christ washing over my heart. And my guilt was eradicated, and my rage was washed away and love was imparted in me and my prayerlessness turned to incessant communion with God. I couldn't stop talking with him. That was 33 years ago. 
34 or something. That's a long time ago. Hasn't faded at all. That's the power of God. Jesus has his ways of getting a hold of us. For some of you, it was a quiet voice. It was you were reading the Bible one day, and it just, you didn't realize it, but the Holy Spirit was all over you, making you know that this is true. Some of you, it was a message. You heard a sermon, a pastor preaching or somebody preaching, and while that message, kind of like the, the, the guys on the road to Emmaus, you know, you were hearing the message in something. You came in before the message. You didn't really believe. You thought, I don't know, maybe this could be true, but I don't really know what it's about. And then something about the message and the Holy Spirit doing a work in your heart. You went home believing. Some of us, it's a person in our life that we knew didn't know God. They weren't even nice people. They weren't good people. They weren't. Maybe it was a friend or a family member. Maybe for some of you, it was your mother who was like, maybe not a very nice person. And then the Spirit of God came upon their life and they found Christ and they were changed. And it kind of gets to you. You can't explain it away. You're like, this is real. And it starts you on that pursuit of God. I could keep going. There's so many ways that Jesus works in the heart. And now some of you who are question askers, you think, well, why doesn't he do that to everybody? If Jesus has his ways of getting a hold of each of us, then why, why isn't everyone a follower of Jesus? Why doesn't everyone in New England believe that Jesus is the Christ and the only true God and the way, the truth, and the life and the one mediator between God and men. Why doesn't everybody believe that if Jesus has his ways? Good question. Because Jesus comes to those who seek him. He makes himself known to those who search for him. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, uh, anyone who is willing to do my will will know that I am from the Father. There's an element of our hearts in this, too, that we have to be surrendered. We have to be open. That's, that's all we have to do. We don't have to try to be good. We don't have to try to clean up our life really shiny so that Jesus will accept us. We don't have to do that. We don't have to try to muster up faith somehow. Oh, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to believe, even though I don't really believe down deep. You know, I'm just going to say that I believe. I'm going to pretend that I believe. You don't have to fake it. You don't have to try to do anything. It's kind of the opposite of trying. It's more, God, uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not good. I, I'm not deserving. I, I, I don't really know about these things. I I. I, I kind of believe that it might be true, but I don't really believe. I have a lot of unbelief, I, but I, I, I kind of want to believe. If it is really true, I'm open. It's that kind of prayer of you saying, um, God, I'm, I'm in your hands. Do with me what you want to do with me. 
It's always an issue of the heart. Listen, nobody is going to miss heaven because they just didn't have enough information about Jesus. Ah, I just wasn't persuaded enough. The Christians just weren't convincing enough. Therefore, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a follower of Jesus. No, it doesn't work like that. It's always an issue of the heart. If your heart is open to God, truly open, and you say, God, I'm, I'm not telling you who to be. I'm not telling you what I should be. If you come to God, not on your own terms, but fully surrendered. And listen, again, you don't, you're not coming with a shiny lifestyle. You're not coming, oh, I'm so good. I've cleaned myself up. I'm not coming. You don't have to come with faith, with great faith. You come just with a little mustard seed of faith, whatever you got. Even if it's a tiny, teeny mustard seed, it's the smallest seed, right? You come with a little, just tiny faith and just, ah, God, I, who are you? Show yourself to me. Listen, I promise that he will if your heart is truly surrendered to him. It's always an issue of the heart. Don't let anybody fool you, by the way. Oh, man, I've tried to believe. I've tried to, you know, I've, I've studied. I've read this book. I've, you know, I went to church and it just didn't, you know, it didn't make sense. God never revealed himself. Have you heard that? I've heard many people through the years Oh, I tried seeking God, but, you know, he didn't make himself known to me. No, the problem is never with God. Never. God is willing to make himself known to you. He is willing. He is burning in ways that I am burning. And I'm just a human. I'm just a man. I am burning for every single person who I know that doesn't know Jesus. I want them to see it. How much more, infinitely more, is God willing and burning for every person that he has created, fashioned with his own hands, to see who he is. He wants to make himself known. So to every one of us, open up your heart wide. Repent. That's the word in Scripture. Repent means to turn around. You know, instead of going this way, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to, do, I'm going to believe what I want to believe, and I'm not going to do what God wants me to do. You turn around in the opposite direction, and you say, okay, I'm not God, and I tremble before you. Because you are God and you created all things. And I know one day I'm going to stand before you. So who are you and what do you want me to do? Just take that from a philosophical standpoint. Does that sound right? Just forget about, you know, the gospel for a second and just all different religions. Doesn't that seem like the right thing to do as human beings? Even if we don't know who he is up there. God. Are you God? God's. He, she, who's up there, 
What do you want? You made me. Whoever put me here, what am I supposed to do? And who are you? If you really pray that prayer, you will find Christ. The Bible says if you search for me, seek for me with all of your heart, you will find me. Jesus said, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. You will find him. You might not think it. It seems like crazy to you. It seems like an idle tale. So I don't know. I'm going to find God. It sounds like crazy town, right? Then you're going to go to your friends and relatives. And like, I found God. Like you're going to be one of those people. I found Jesus. Yeah, I get it. From a social standpoint, you know, in our society, you look like crazy person. But you know when you're not going to look so crazy? When everyone stands before God on the day of judgment. When he starts saying things like, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And others, depart from me. I never knew you. Oh, it's going to be a different day. Boys are going to be flipped upside down on that day. And those who laugh now and mock now, will not be laughing and mocking then. Amen? Amen. I'm just kind of shooting off the cuff here since I have so much time left. I still got a half an hour. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's stand together. Let's pray a prayer of thanksgiving to the Lord. Lord, I am so thankful that you have your ways of getting a hold of our hearts. Lord, I'm thankful that you are God, that you were raised from the dead, that you are alive, not just up there and out there, but you are alive within us. Lord, I pray for every single person in this place. I pray a blessing on them. I pray a baptism of joy. I pray for peace. I pray for those who doubt in this place or who just aren't, they just don't see it. Or it maybe feels to them like an idle tale. It sounds like just Pastor Scott is up there just kind of saying all this stuff and it just doesn't seem real. Lord, I pray that you would make it real to each and every one of us just in a very personal way. Whether it takes you know, a light from heaven or bringing them to a near-death experience or a still, gentle voice. Whatever it takes, in, in our lives. Lord, show us the truth. Show us who you are. Show us why we're here. Show us where we're going. Show us what happens after death. Lord, help us not to be afraid to ask these big questions that everybody in society seems to avoid these topics of conversation. But Lord, I pray that we would just go into them and just say, Lord, God, who are you? And why am I here? Show me the truth. Were you really resurrected from the dead? Make these things real to me. Lord, we trust in you to do that work. And we pray this in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Happy Easter to all of you.
Have a wonderful day.